morning. Good to see all of you here. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. If you're listening online, we are glad that you're checking in with us. And if you didn't know you can listen online, you can. You can find that on iTunes uh, or on our Facebook page. Uh, just click on the little messages link and you can catch up and say, did he really say that? You can always go and find out. And if it's really bad, we edit it out. So then I didn't say that. But uh, this uh, week, we uh, if you're, it's your first week here, you haven't been here in a while, we're actually finishing up a series today. We've been talking for the last six weeks about the topic of money, but today we're done, and for some of you, like, oh, phew, you know, uh, but I don't have time to go over all of what we've, uh, what you may have missed if you weren't here, but here's a quick little recap. In week one, we just talked about the, the, the idea that money can own you. We think we own stuff, but sometimes our stuff can own us, and when it does, our relationships suffer as a result. Uh, and then the second week, we uh, had Larry come in. He was talking about the fact that you can trust God, that even though you look around and see, you know, the decisions that fi- our government's making and the financial decisions they're making, you can still trust God. You trust him with your life. You can trust him with your money. Week three and four was kind of like a two-part thing on being a manager of what God has entrusted to you. You're not an owner of your stuff. He's designed you to manage it, to use it for the time that you have. And so we gave you two thoughts. One was Spy on your money and find out where it's actually going. If you're managing it, where is it going? And so we challenge you to track that. Uh, take some time just writing it down. I learned some fascinating things about our spending, again, by, by writing it down. Again, I've done it a number of times, and it's a healthy thing to do every once in a while is just track and say, okay, where is the money going? If, if I've got to give an account, I've got to know where it's going. And then in our second week of that, uh, of that series, we said, as a manager, you should be telling your money where to go. You're the one who tells it where to go, not it telling you where it wants to go. And so we, we said, come up with a plan. There's simple plans like the 10-10-80 plan where you decide, I'm going to give 10% away first. I'm going to save 10% and I'm going to live on the 80% and no more. Uh, we challenge you to come up with a plan. Uh, it's maybe not going to be those numbers. It could be, and for, for many, it'll be different numbers. But to have a plan where you'd say, I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to give first. I'm going to save and I'm going I'm to live on the rest. And uh, in week five, Last week, we just talked about how God sees money, that when he looks at every dollar that comes into your pocket, he put it there, he entrusted it to you for a reason, and that reason is that we would use what we have now to make a difference for eternity, that he said we would either make friends or or bless people uh, that, that sometime in eternity, there'd be people in heaven who say, thank you, I'm here because of what you did with your stuff. And we're like, wow, we never really thought stuff was meant for that. And so this morning, um, we want to finish this series, um, but it's not really the end, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But we want to finish this idea with, with this thought. And uh, it, it's, for some of you, you're like, you know what, I'm not in a financial mess. I'm not, I don't have any financial stresses or worries. You know, I've been responsible. I've saved. I've done it all. Um, for you, we want to talk about, you know, the, the, how you can avoid being, uh, falling into that. And for those who, who, you know, yeah, I've made these messes and I just have no idea how I ended up there. We want to talk to you this morning about how you can avoid the same thing happening again in your life in the future. And this is the thought that preventative is much better than repair. I don't know if you know that, but it's always much better than repair. Preventing rust on your car is much easier than repairing it. And so I showed this last night, and then they came and told me that Corvettes don't rust. They're made out of fiberglass. But for the sake of the picture, you know, 
It's much easier to prevent rust than, uh, than it is to repair. And anybody who's got a rusty car, you know the, the thing. Brushing and flossing your teeth is much less painful than uh, what this guy's going to have to go through, you know? I know, and you're like, oh, that's too early in the morning to see that. But at least I have your attention now, you know? And so, you know, mowing your lawn regularly is much better than having to bail it a couple times a year, right? So uh, we learned that with our golf course this year, too, as we were mowing down the, the golf course. Uh, if you do it regularly, then, then you can actually find the, the, the the hole and the fairway on the golf course, which would be great. Um, investing time and energy into your marriage, because it's big things. Investing time and energy into your marriage is much better than counseling. You know, if you can prevent this, you know, uh, some of you are like, yeah, my husband's head's always in the sand. Well, you know, or he got, his cap got detated, I don't know, but something, you know, the, the, if you'd spend time in preventative, just spending time talking about things, it's much, much uh, better than having to go through counseling. But even though we know all that stuff, doesn't mean we do any of that stuff. And the same thing happens with our finances, that there are things that we can do that are preventative from ending up in these traps. And just because we know it doesn't mean we do it. And so we want to talk about that. Paul actually talked about it as well. He wrote a, a letter to Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, I'll open them up because I, I want to make sure that you know that what I'm sharing isn't my idea. Someone else wrote this, and it was Paul, and he wrote this letter to Timothy. So if you, you know, open your app, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and so when we open it up say, oh, this is the Bible, the Bible is a collection of all kinds of different documents. This particular one happened to be a, a scroll, a letter that Paul, as he's sitting in a prison cell, he writes to this, this young guy, Timothy, who's helping to lead a church in a place called Ephesus. So a real place in, in modern-day Greece. That's where um, Timothy is. He's, um, he's pastoring this church that him and Paul started. But now Paul can't really help because he's stuck in prison. So he says, okay, Timothy, here's a bunch of things I want you to know about leading this church. And so he writes a, a, a number of things to them. And as he's closing the letter, as he gets to the end, you know, he's written a bunch of things, the first five chapters, we'll call them. He starts penning the last little bit, and, and he, it's kind of like when you write a letter to somebody, like, oh, yeah, 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 actually, there's one thing I really want to make sure you don't forget. This is it. It's the last thing, so don't forget it. So he closes the letter. He begins to explain to Timothy that there's some people that are going to be around that, that they might look good on the outside, but they're not for him. That, that there's people that he's going to come into contact with that are going to appear to be godly, but there's something not quite right with them. And he says, I'm, I'm warning you, keep your eyes open for them, and I'm going to show you how you can recognize them, because there's one real easy tell that will show this person, you know, this is, this, this is how you'll know. But what he also does is he explains to Timothy how... Um, and why people get themselves into the trap of debt and how they become mastered by stuff. And by doing that and by somebody, you know, uh, translating that into English, we get the opportunity to see that as well, the how and why. And so he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. He warns him. He says, Tim, these people, they always cause trouble. He says their minds, just remember that word. You're going to hear it a lot today. Their minds, the way they think, it's corrupt. He says they've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. The way they think is, how can I become wealthy? That's what their thought process is. That's what they live for. He says they might appear to be godly. They have a show of godliness, but his godliness is not measured by what someone looks like. For instance, you could look at me and say, wow, he must be godly because he gets to hold the mic at the front. He must be godly because he's a pastor, right? You know, you look in, in, in my Bible and you're like, wow, look at all the highlights. Like, his whole Bible's colored, you know, it's all, the, he can really preach. He must be godly. It just means that maybe I know how to talk in front of people and I know how to color in a Bible. That, that's all that that means. 
It doesn't mean that necessarily that I'm godly. And so um, Timothy, Paul's writing him saying, Tim, keep your eyes open. So when somebody appears godly, but all they want is money, he says, that should be a red flag for you. He says, when, they're just, when their life's goal is just about money, that should be a red flag for you. He says, their mind, their, their whole consumption of their mind is, how can I get rich? How can I use this platform to get rich? In verse 6, he says, but Tim, true godliness. And godliness is just devotion to God. To, um, to God. True godliness, true devotion to God with contentment. And that's our word for today. With contentment is itself great wealth. You know, great wealth, when we think about great wealth with our culture, our culture wants us to think, to be, to be consumed with this idea that great wealth is measured by stuff. You know, you Google online, you Google rich people, and you find pictures of their stuff. This is Floyd Mayweather and uh, all of his cars, his jet, and that's just the stuff that he has outside. If you can see his house and you can see all the other stuff, the guys, he's made a ton of money, and he's got a lot of toys. And, you know, in our culture, the, the saying kind of goes, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's kind of the goal. You know, I, I, as I do pre-marriage counseling, I often, uh, well, I always give them a questionnaire, and they, I, I have a question on there. What are your goals in life? Because I want to know, you know, does he and she have the same goals? Are they at least heading in the same direction? It's crazy what people write on there. Not, not, I guess it's not really crazy. It's, it's just normal. But you know what they write for goals? Things like this. I just really want a fancy old car. You know, that I, or I want a fancy new car. Or I want a, a Jeep, you know, TJ, whatever. Or are they write, I want a cottage up north. And then I want a boat for that cottage. And, or I want to travel the world. And, and that's usually the guy's. The women are like, I want four kids, and I want to stay at home and not have to work. And, you know, whatever it is, that's kind of what they, what they write. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, these goals are so different. Do you know what I never have seen yet? So if you're about to get married and you're going to get one of my questionnaires, you can just score an A by listening right now. They never write things like, I just want to make sure that I spend the rest of my life with this person and that we're happily married, sitting on a porch swing when we're 80, holding hands because we are so in love. They never write that. Oh, Bob, too late. You can't tell her that now. I see you. I see you working. You know, but it's like these goals in life are never, I want to have children that we raise to know the Lord so that they go on to do great things in life for Christ. Never have that. And yet as we get older, as married people get older, you're like, those are the things we actually want. You know, as we get over, like, you know, after the kids leave, no, we really do hope that there's something else that still keeps us together. We do hope if we're raising children that they're going to grow up to make great decisions in life and that their lives would be honoring to the Lord because of eternity. But they never write those things. And so Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Tim, you know what, true wealth, what you actually really, really want is this idea of being um, devoted to God and having contentment. And contentment is this, it's a mind, it's a way of thinking. Contentment is a way of thinking that I am, I'm contented with my lot no matter what it is. That I'm not needing any support. I'm not needing any aid. And so Paul writes some, Tim, great wealth, huge wealth. The biggest wealth that you could hope for is actually two things. Devoted to God and contentment. He says, don't be distracted. Don't, don't let anybody deceive you make, thinking that great wealth is anything but. And so, you know, he says contentment is a thing. Do you know, anybody know what the opposite of contentment is? It's not a trick question. Discontent, right? Discontentment. And so I I love how Andy Stanley um, describes discontentment. He says, discontentment is the dissatisfaction that I have with what I have. The dissatisfaction that I have 
with what I have. And you know, there's, there's this discontentment that we see in a lot of our uh, culture, but sometimes in us as well. And what makes us or leads us to be discontent? Because if discontent is the thing that's the opposite of great wealth, what leads us there? What makes us discontent with what we have? And it's this one word called awareness. Awareness actually fuels discontent in our lives. For instance, it just, it's so, it just sneaks in. Um, Beth and I, we've been talking about moving to the country possibly and building a house and there's possibly an opportunity for us to do that. And so a number of months ago, we started talking about, oh, this, this, we could be moving to the country. Well, you know, as soon as you think about moving to the country, we've been living in town for a while and it's been great. But all of a sudden, we notice all the things wrong with our town. You know, we drive in and we're like, those neighbors and those barking dogs, you know, just... I won't have to shoot them if I could just move to the country. The dog, not the neighbor, right? So, you know, I, uh, you know, if, if we start noticing things that are, that are wrong. It's like, you know, our house was just fine until all of a sudden, you know, we think about, wow, you know, if prominent homes built our house, you know, they have 10-foot ceilings. Now we go to our house like 8-foot ceilings. I mean, now I got a duck, you know, walking around everywhere because it's just, it's just not the same, you know, the same thing. You're like, wow, that would be so awesome. Now we just got to live in this slum in Townsend, right? And, and if you know where I live, it's not a, it's not a slum. It's, it's, it's been great up until that moment of awareness. Maybe you have that. You go to someone else's house, and you're like, whoa, kitchens look like that? Like, man, my kitchen sucks, you know? Or you're like, wow, I can't believe they have three bathrooms in their house. You know, let's rip out the closet and make it into a bathroom because we want to have that awareness. And it's so, so simple. You know, the other day I'm driving down the road, and I was going to the hardware store in, in uh, Hagersville, and across the road from the Hagersville hardware store is the Ford dealership. And as I drove by the Ford dealership, they had this sweet 2017 brand new white Mustang convertible. It looked very similar to this, parked out front. And I was like, wow, that is a pretty car. And as I looked at it, I saw it had balloons. It was even better because the balloons said sale on them. I'm like, and it's on sale, right? And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, this, oh man, that, that's an amazing car. And part of me was like sitting there in my car going, why did I buy this car? Like only two weeks ago, I bought this car. And I'm like, why did I buy this car that I have now? When, when Beth said I could go out and buy a sweet car because I'm turning 40 this year and I should have a sweet, that could have been my, wait, oh, you showed my car. So this is my car. And actually, um, just last week, I was really content to have this car. I think I even gave a testimony about how I got this car. And I was super excited about this car. This is my car, Goldie Honda. Uh, she's a 2011 Honda Accord. And, uh, you know, as, as, uh, I was like, man, it's got AC, but it doesn't have balloons. You know, like, and so, you know, it's got, it's got a sunroof, but the whole roof doesn't come down. And I had to be careful because last night when I said it doesn't have balloons, by the time I got to the parking lot after church, it had balloons. So, uh, I know, these, you guys are the best, you know, but as I, as I was looking, I was like, it's got a sunroof, but it does, the whole roof doesn't go down, and, and it's, it's got power windows, but, and I, and I can get places in it, but I can't get there as fast as I could in that white car, and just inside, as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, <laughs> that discontent just starts coming on the inside. Why didn't I? And I, you know, I realized I was, I was so content with my car just one week ago, but then all of a sudden I had this great realization. I realized that Jesus had a Honda. He just didn't talk about it. And I found that it's in Scripture. John chapter 12, verse 49. It says, uh, for I did not speak of my own accord. Uh, and so I was like, 
that's good. You know, if Jesus had one, that's good. But then it got better because I realized the disciples did as well. Because in Acts 2, 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. I don't know how they did that. But they were in one place. I was like, you know what? If an accord is good enough for them, then it's good enough for me. And I was content again. And, I, and I'm good. You know, but I know Father's Day was a week ago, but I had to tell a couple dad jokes. It's, I told you this week would be happier than last week. But discontent, it just comes in so easily. All of a sudden, you're just not like doing normal life. And then all of a sudden, you see something like, oh, I, I I got to upgrade. And for you, maybe it's a phone. Like, you want to upgrade your iPhone. You've gone through all of these. You know, it wasn't big enough. And then, oh, now it's too big, you know. And then it got to go smaller. And then, oh, but now iPhone 8's coming. And we're going bigger again because you got to have. Maybe it's a house. Maybe you're like, you're always moving because you're just never happy in the house you live in. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a computer, a guitar, maybe it's a golf club, maybe it's a boyfriend. You're just like, you know, every time, like, oh, I just got to upgrade, you know? I got, and, and hopefully you don't learn that as a behavior because when you get married, it just doesn't work, right? So, um, but, but advertisers are gearing for this. They know. They're trying to make you aware. That's all they got to do. They don't have to sell you anything. If they can just make you aware of what you don't have, you'll do the rest yourself. That's how we're wired. And so advertising is geared to make you aware of what you don't have. And you see it like, everywhere. My kids, we've been reading this Berenstein Bear book, which uh, Berenstein Bear is like almost as anointed. No, not. They're, they're anointed, not like the Bible. But there's something special about those books. And we had this one about commercials and how commercials suck your kids into buying stuff. And as they're reading, I'm like, man, this is good. They need to hear this because, you know, my kids, they, they like, Dad, you know, I it's daddy day every Tuesday. We spend the day together and almost every single Tuesday morning, they, dad, can we go to the dollar store? It's daddy day. Cause I took them once. Right. And they're like, no, you know, we can't go to the dollar store, but dad, I really need the quad guy. And I don't know if you know what quad guys are. They're a little guy, but that's big. They sit on a quad and they cost three bucks at the dollar store. And so the one day we bought them because they really needed them, right? And so we get home and they're playing with their quad guys. And then the next week, dad, I really need the red quad guy. I'm like, you have a quad guy. Yeah, but he's not red. I'm like, oh man. And so after a little while, we end up, you know, somehow getting yellow. I think Beth must have took him. They got red quad guys. So now they got yellow red, and red. The next week, dad, I really need a quad. Like, you have quad guys. Well, now they have red, yellow, green, orange, blue and orange, blue and yellow, green. And they just keep making new colors just so that I'll have to take my kids to the dollar store. They know my kids are aware of what they don't have. And for some of you like, Mark, who, what's the big deal? That's only $3. $3 is 60% of their weekly income. They're spending 60% of their weekly income on quad guys. And I think, you know, as the Bible says, faithful with little, faithful with much, not faithful with little, not faithful with much. You screw up with little, you're going to screw up with much. I'm like, I don't want my kids screwing up with these little purchases thinking, I got to have, I got to have a quad guy. When it's going to be like, I got to have a red Mustang. I got to have a blue Mustang. I got to trade that one in for a green Mustang. And hey, dad, help me out. I can't pay my debts. I'm working on them. But the advertisement's the same because for all of us, it's like telling you, this is what you really want. This is what you don't have and what you really want. Be aware of the fact that they're trying to make you aware of what you don't have. Be aware of that because what we don't realize is if we don't realize that that's what's happening, they're trying to make us aware of what we don't have, we think we need to feed the appetite. We see something, oh, I don't have that. Man, that's what I really want. Oh, I can figure it out. And if I can't pay for it, Visa can. I think I want it. And so what we try and do is feed the appetite. The only way to change an appetite is to starve it not feed it. And that goes for a lot of different things. You want to change an appetite in your life, stop feeding it because the appetite's never fully satisfied. There's never one meal that ends all meals. You're like, yeah, honey, I, that was the best supper ever. I never need to eat again. 
you might feel full, but you're going to need to eat again. You know, there's never going to be that purchase. You're like, this is it. This is the last phone I need. I never need to purchase another one until six months from now. It never fully, uh, it's never fully satisfied. And so Paul says to Timothy, be aware, Tim, of what you really want. What you really want, the great wealth that you really want is devotion to God and contentment. Two things you just got to have. And then in verse 7, he says this. He says, after all, Timothy, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We sure can't take anything with us when we leave. So if Paul's writing, he says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Timothy, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. He who dies with the most toys lost all the toys because they can't take them with them. So if that's what you're living for, then when you get to the end, it's total loss. You lose everything. You lose 100% because that's all you were living for. And he says, really what you want to be aware of is that it's something different. So he says in verse 8, so if we have enough food and if we have enough clothing, let us be content. If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You know, there's an ad campaign years ago called Got Milk. I don't know if you remember that, but for 20 years, this was the most, um, it's actually the, uh, labeled as the very best ad campa- campaign that's ever been run. They had the milk mustaches, they had the people, they had all kinds of things that said, you know, Got Milk. Well, Timothy's, um, as Paul's writing to Timothy, it's the same thought. You know, when they, when they saw Got Milk, he's like, oh, yeah, we need to, like, it, it, was, it was used to saying, oh, we need, ah, I need to drink some milk today. It was great for the dairy farmers. But Paul's saying to Timothy, he's like, hey, Tim, you got food? Yeah, 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 I, I ate today. He's like, you got clothes? Yep, got clothes. You got a place to live? Yep, I got that. He says, then be content with that. He says, let us be content with that. And when he says be content, he said, Timothy, great wealth is having contentment. That's something you can have. But he says, now this idea of, be content. So choose to think in a way that you're content with what you have. Romans 12, verse 2, a theme throughout the New Testament. Paul says, be transformed by changing the way you think. Change the way you think about this stuff. And he says, be content. So when the twinge of discontent rises up, you're like, oh, I got to have that. It's rather than feed it, simply state, I don't really need it. Rather than feed it, I don't really need it. I've already got one of those. I'm good. And for some of you, it's like, I can't do that. Like food, clothes, and a house to live in, that's it? Like I just have to be content with that? No, there's a part of us that's not. We just like, we're never going to be content with that. How do you do that? Well, Paul wrote to the Philippians and explained how he did it. And it's really interesting. So Philippians chapter 4, if you have it, you can read along verse 10. Paul's writing to them. He's thanking them because they supported him in his ministry. And he says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. And he says in verse 11, not that I was ever in need, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. He says, I learned how to be content. I learned how to be okay with whatever I have. I learned how to be content in all times. In verse 12, he says, I know, which is again the same word, I learned how to live on almost nothing. But I've also learned how to live with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then here's the verse that you probably knew. You just didn't know it went with this. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. 
This is a verse most of you have seen probably on a coffee mug somewhere. You know, you drink your coffee and you're like, yeah, today I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you're one of those students, you're like, I didn't study, but man, I got to take this exam. Dear Lord, oh, this is going to be terrible. But I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you're scared of doing something. You're like, that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not meant for any of those things. That was never what this verse was designed for. Paul was writing, he says, you know what I've learned? What I can do? With Christ who strengthens me, I can be content with whatever I have. Why? Because it's Christ who strengthens me. It's him, the one who gives me the ability. He says, I've learned. I've chosen to be content with whatever I have. How? Because I realize I've got Christ. And he says, knowing Christ, everything else is worthless if you can know Christ. There's something so eternal about that that nothing else really matters. He wrote that earlier. I consider everything else is worthless or is lost compared to knowing him. He learned how to just be content with what he had. Two ways you can learn things. One, there's the easy way. You can learn from the fact that Paul wrote it. And you're like, okay, I can read what Paul wrote and I can learn how to be content. You can learn from all the other knuckleheads around you who, didn't, who did it the wrong way. And you're like, well, look at how much debt they have and how much pain they have. I'll just learn from them. You know, my parents just bankrupted everything. I'm just going to learn from their mistakes. Uh, you can learn the easy way. But then there's another way. You get, can also learn the hard way. And when you learn things the hard way, you realize things like this. You don't shoot a gun with a scope up to your eye and the barrel stock not against your shoulder. Pirate in three, two, one, right? Or you can learn that not all birds are your friends, right? That's uh, something you can, you can learn the hard way as well. Or you can learn that meeting the concrete is, you can do that in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Again, once again, you know, the first couple are a little hilarious. Not so much on that one. But again, it's these thoughts, when we think about it in those ways, we're like, oh man, I'm glad it's a picture. And I'm glad it's not me. But would we see the same thing and say, wow, I'm glad that I can learn something the easy way rather than having to go through all the difficulties. First Timothy 6 verse 9, Paul says this, but, which means he's contrasting two things. He says, but people who long to, who devote their life to be rich. He said, true, true wealth, great wealth is godliness and contentment. He says, but people who devote their life to being rich, to, to, to living just to amass wealth or outward possessions, it's what drives them. It's what they get up in the morning for. I just got to make another dollar. I just got to make a little bit more. It's what's actually mastering them, but they don't know it. He says, those kind of people who want to be rich in all of the financial areas. He says to them, Tim, but people who long to be rich, listen to these words, they fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from true faith and they pierce themselves with many sorrows. You see that. The words are like they fall. They're trapped. They're harmful. Ruin. Destruction. Evil. All kinds of evil. And we said, you don't want that stuff in your life. You know where the greed is in your life and jealousy? It's like they, those kind of things happen when you're devoted to stuff. It's all the kinds of stuff that comes with it we really don't want. And the biggest one is this, even to the point where we can begin to wander away from faith. We can wander away from a trusting relationship with God. That's what's happened. That's why it's so important for Jesus followers to understand this idea of contentment. Because as you become aware of other things, you become discontent. You think your contentment, your joy will be found in stuff. And it leads you away from who our true joy really is and the things that really matter. And so Paul finishes with one last instruction as do we this morning. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says this, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world. Teach those who are rich in this world. 
This is what I feel like and, and I hope for, my, for, for uh, us as well as a group is that we do a good job of this, that we would teach those who are rich in this world. So how many of you are rich? A couple of you? A couple of you are rich. Did you realize you're like, uh, some of you didn't raise your hand. Some of you don't raise your hand for anything. I know that. But others of you, you're like, you don't think you're rich. Because you're like, you know, I compare myself to these other people around me, you know, people that I know. The, those people are rich. My boss is rich. You know, Bill Gates, he's rich. You know, um, people, there's rich people in, on this planet. But, you know, I'm not rich. I got debt. You know, I'm, I'm not rich. But the problem is you compare yourself to the wrong people. How many of you have a house? How many of you have a car? Two cars? You're filthy, stinking rich. Did you realize that only 9% of this people on this planet have a, a car? 9%. Do you realize that um, over one-third of the people on this planet live every day on two bucks or less? One-third of the people. That's two billion people that you're richer than them. I mean, that's like my kids are richer than them. You're rich. And so what I reason why I say that is because as you read that, teach those who are rich, some of you are just like, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to every one of us. He says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world, which is every one of us who's uh, in Canada. He says, not to be proud, not to trust in me, not to put my trust in what I can do for me, and not to trust in the money, not to like put my reliance in money, because it could be gone tomorrow. It says their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. He's, he gives us what we actually need. He's taking care of us. If you don't realize that all the rest of after food, after clothing, after a home to live in, and in Canada, after transportation, he says everything else, man, that's just, that's gravy, that's extra. And then he gets really, really practical. He says, for those who are rich, tell them this. And so that's for me and that's for you. He says, tell them this, to use or to manage their money to do good. He says three things. They should be rich in good works generous to those in need, and always be ready to share with others. And verse 19 says, by doing this, they'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life or eternal life, that in eternity there will be treasure because of what they did with their stuff now. He says, be rich in good works and generous to those in need. You know, when you're striving to be rich, striving to be rich financially, it often breaks relationships. It's the number one reason for divorce. I mean, we don't need the Bible to tell us that. We can see it, and all of, I mean, all of us are connected to people who have, whose marriages have fallen apart. And for most of them, it was because of this thing called money, something coming in between. He says, if you're rich in good works and generosity, it actually builds relationships. You want to be around those people who are incredibly generous. And then he says, be ready to give. Be ready to give. You rich people, be ready to give. When you see a need, be ready. This is the main reason why we got to get out of debt. Because when you have it on your heart to give, you can't if you're in debt. It's the reason we should be saying, hey, I want to get out of debt so that I can be ready to give, so that I can be doing something for the future, that in eternity there's going to be people in heaven because I got out of debt and I used what I had for eternity. Our culture keeps us, um, or I saying, just some of the things maybe like, you know, you have so much stuff, maybe it's selling what you don't need to help those who are really in need. Selling what you don't need to help those who are in need. Our culture keeps us aware of, we don't, of what we don't have, so we're not aware of what others don't have. You know, and for some, they don't realize what, that there's others who are in need that could really, really use some help. You know, I, I um, uh, experienced something with Beth over the last six, um, six months as Eden was 
brought to the hospital with that tumor in her, on her liver. You know, we, we went there, and you're praying, you're believing for, for God to do something great through that um, scenario. One of the things we weren't uh, expecting or, you know, didn't really realize was who we would meet along the way. Uh, and as Beth would spend time at the hospital with Tracy and Eden every, um, uh, every week that she was there, all of a sudden what they realized is that there was a whole lot of other kids in that ward. And you know, we'd, been, we'd been to hospitals before, but not really aware of how many of these other little families are in that ward every day of the year. That there's these kids who are fighting against these things. And so we, we realized, you know, how much it costs, how much extra dollars were needed. Because for our family, for Tracy and Ronnie, for them to be able to be driving back and forth to the hospital and all the other things that were involved, we realized, wow, it costs a lot. And then we realized that there was kids in there who they were going through their second, you know, um, chemo treatment for leukemia. And we go realizing, man, this is like, this is difficult. Uh, and watching them go, but becoming aware. And all of a sudden that thought of what can we do with what we have to help to make a difference. And out of that, you know, there was this thing called Boo Boo's Beanies that happened where Beth and she started making beanies for a couple of kids. She made six and then realized there's other kids that wanted them uh, at the hospital. So she started making more and then she started getting other people to come and, and they just started volunteering and sewing and making these hats, just, just doing, using what they had to make a difference to win friends. Well, in every single one of Boo Boo's Beanies, as they are sent out, there's this little scripture verse that says, love one another as I have loved you. The reason we're giving you a beanie is simply because we're loved and we want to show that love in some way to some other person. Well, the response on Facebook has been incredible. As people have started seeing through Tracy's posts, um, through some of these just acts of, of love and service, that people have responded saying, wow, we see something in you. There's something strong in you. You're going through the same journey as us, but we see something. And there's people where there's been opportunities to share the love of Jesus uh, with people and the truth of Jesus simply because they did something with what they had. They did something with what they had for someone else. I got fabric all over my house. I don't even have room for, I can barely walk in my front entrance sometimes because there's fabric and beanies. It's like, you know, the sacrifice of all that because of something incredible. But you know what? There's all different kinds of things. I challenge you to become aware rather than of what you don't have, become aware of those who are really in need. You know, maybe for you, you realize, you know, um, that there are others in our, in our area that need the food bank every single week. They don't actually have enough to eat. There's others who need um, different things. Like there's orphans in Haiti that we've been talking about uh, quite a bit that, that are in need. There's single moms who are in need. I got to tell you this story because it just, oh man, it's just amazing. There's a, there's a family from our church who had been, uh, uh, about a year ago, they had met with Larry and they decided that they were going to start doing things different. They were giving money away first. They started saving. They had saved up their emergency fund of $1,000 to start. And as they were continuing on, they said, let's just keep saving. And they saved $1,000 and they said, Mark, we want to give this $1,000 to somebody. We feel God's telling us to give this money away. And we're like, we, you know, can you tell some, can you just find somebody? He's like, no, no. You pray about who he wants you to give it to. And they came back a week later and said, we want to give it to the single mom that we know from our church. And I was like, awesome. And so we went and, and they said, but we want you to do it. So I was like, all right. So I walked with $1,000, 10 $100 bills in an envelope. And I walked to the single mom's door and I knocked on her door. And as she opened the door, she's also from our church. I handed her $1,000 and she opened it. She's like, what's this? I'm like, it's for you. Somebody just wanted to bless you. And she just like, 
Her eyes lit up. She was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And she had needed that. She had car, a car repair she couldn't make at that point. It was like an answer to her prayers. She was so thankful. She's like, who did it? I'm like, the Lord. Yeah, yeah, and who, right? You know, and it's like, I want to thank them. I'm like, they said not to tell. And I'm like, and I won't, but I will go and pass it on. So then I went back. I was like, I wish I could have just taken a video of her just to show this couple who had given the thousand. I was like, would you just, man, she was ecstatic. It actually meant she'd been praying, trusting God, and you did it. And they're like, oh, it's, I just, and she says to me, is it, is it weird? I just gave away $1,000 and I feel awesome. I'm like, it isn't weird because that's what we're wired to do. And when you experience that idea of it's better to give than to receive, it's better to, to be generous than to try and get, 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 you recognize something on the inside of you that we've been buying into a lie in our culture for so long, but it's something that you can become aware of. And the last thought is this, that we become ready to share with others, ready to share because it's all his. And this is the one that I'm just terrible at. This is the one that as I've gone through this whole series, I'm starting to realize this is the one that needs the most work. Sharing, being ready to share, knowing that it's all his. So we can just share it because it's not ours. We have these ducklings in our house this week. Um, not these ones, but some like them. They're just so cute. And, and, and they hatched the other day and my son Lincoln comes up to me. He's like, Dad, can I have one? Can I like own one? And I'm like, sure, you can own one. Well, Max is there listening. He's like, Dad, hey, can, can I own them all? And I'm like... Sure, and all of a sudden, you know, fight's on, right? Because, no, I own one. No, I own them all, you know? And I was like, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm like, listen, Dad owns them all. So because you're my kids and you live in this house, we can own them all together. And you guys can, you know, is, that, is that okay? And they're like, oh, sweet, we all get to own them all? That's awesome. I'm like, yes, that's how it goes. Now go clean up after them, right? And so you go clean up after your pets. But but it was this thought that all of a sudden for me, it was like it triggered something in me that it's all his and that we can manage it, that we all get to manage what he's putting in our lives. And by doing it, by being generous, by being rich towards others, being rich in good works, we're actually storing up something, a treasure that'll be there for eternity. So the question is this, I'm asking me, I hope you'll ask you, what can I do now that will, um, that will matter for eternity? What can I do now with what I have that actually really matters so we end this series, but it's not the end of dealing with money. It's not the end of dealing with financial stuff in our life. My question is that, what will you do with what you've learned? What will I do with what I've learned? Because we're so good at this. We feel extra good because we learned something. You know, you're like, yeah, I learned that. And then we don't do anything with it. And James wrote to the people back in the day and said, you know what? Be a doer of the word, not just to hear only. You know, have you ever found yourself trapped in debt? Have you ever found yourself, you know, that discontentment rising up? Ever found yourself and you just can't get something out of your mind until you finally go and buy it? It's just there all the time. Got to buy, got to buy. Do you want to have different results in your life than you've had in the past? Do you want your future to look different than where you are now? Albert Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Realizing we got to do something different. So for some of you, it might be that you're going to start tracking. You realize, you know what? I didn't do it that first week, but I'll do it now. And grab a sheet on your way and begin to see where your money's going. For some of you, you realize, my money's all, like, it's just bad. Maybe you've got, for you, the step is, i got to invite someone else in to help. i got to humble myself and say, Larry, here's the mess I made. Please don't laugh at my books, but this is where I'm at. What can you do? I've been there. It's amazing how as he got us to focus on what God wants and, uh, and, and to line ourselves up to begin to have a plan that I'm going to give first, I'm going to save, I'm going to live on the rest. I'm not going to be average like the rest of the Canadians. I'm going to do something different. Maybe for some of you, and this is a lot of us, we got to get rid of some of the stuff we don't use and we don't need so that we can help others who are in need.
because we think we can't help them, but we've got all this stuff. Maybe for some of you, it's giving away some of your extra. You're like, extra? If you went to the movies this week or ever, that's extra. If you actually got to buy a Tim Hortons coffee, it's extra. Someone made it for you, it's extra. If you got two cars, extra. I'm not telling you to give away a car, but if he does, do it. You'll be amazed at what happens. And the last thing is this. Maybe you're going to become aware of others who are actually in need. And just allow God to break your heart with, with, what's, what's, uh, with where they're at and be able to actually make a difference in others' lives. So what or who will you allow? What or who will I allow to be my master? Will it be him or will it be stuff? What will I do with what he's entrusted me with? Will I spend my life striving to be rich in financial things? Or will I spend my life trying to be rich in good works and generosity and realizing that it's not all about here, but I'm storing up something for eternity? What will I do with what I've learned? I hope you can ask yourself that question. And I hope that you do something about it because the future and future you will thank you for doing something with what you've learned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living, that it's powerful. It's not just some old book, but it actually affects our lives in real ways today. Thank you for your spirit, that you're the God of grace for our mess-ups, but you're the God of wisdom to help us take steps forward, and we thank you for that. So as we leave this place, I know we don't leave you here. So Holy Spirit, would you keep working in our lives? You know the step that we're on. You know the step that you desire for us to take. Thanks for not giving up on us, helping us to, to work with you and see your kingdom come and your will be done in the lives of others around us, to see it grow as we reach out to our world uh, around us. And for eternity, may we celebrate the lives that are with you as a result of today. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for this great group of people that we get to call family. Pray your blessing on them this week as they go from here. May they shine bright for you. And uh, may they bring glory to your name because it is for your beautiful and precious name that we pray. Amen.